So please do that. So here's our vision uh, for our church. First, we believe that there's hope beyond our brokenness. So right now, we believe that God is transforming each one of our lives. Hope is a picture of the future in which Jesus is present and he's making all things good. As opposed to fear, which is a picture of the present where, or a picture of the future where Jesus is absent and everything is falling apart. We know about that, right? So hope is a picture of the future where Jesus is present and making all things good. And that gives us the ability right now to look at honestly at our lives and say, this is what's going on. And God, you have the ability to transform and meet me right where I'm at in my grief, in my rebellion, in my doubt, in every area of my life, you're present. Even my joy, you're present. So that's hope beyond our brokenness. Second, we, we, we believe... Come on, you can do better than that. Trust in our risen Savior. Yeah, so this means trust is a relationship word, right? Where we are we're learning how to be honest with Jesus and listen to him. So that's trust in our risen Savior. And he's alive. He's present in our midst. Third and, and finally, read it with me, to bring restoration. So when we look at our community, our family, our our. our place of work, our school, that like Cynthia and Steve, that you would see that you have something to bring, that your prayers matter, your giving matters, your presence matters, you showing up and standing matters, your relationships and your word, they matter. Everything you do matters. And it doesn't matter what happened to you in the past, what you did in the past, that's the past. What matters is that you stand right where you are right now for God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. So that's what we believe as a church. So each one of these truths has a uh, statement, uh, a decision that we make each day. Let's read that together. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Today, in John's gospel, we're going to talk about how all three of those things are connected together. Does that make sense? So we're going to stand above the passage just a little bit. Um, In the gospel of John, we've been in this last Um, the last third of the Gospel of John, and this is over the course of one week. The last couple of weeks, we've been in this amazing night, this night of nights, where Jesus is hanging out with his friends in uh, an upstairs room. He's having the Passover meal with them, and he's having this long conversation. And so, um, Scripture is so beautiful. You know, when we we read these verses, verse by verse, when you are up close to the text and you look at the definitions of the words, the truths about God and our humanity are so profound. And the amazing thing about Scripture is that also when you zoom out, like at 20,000 feet, the truths that you see as you see how these passages of Scripture are connected together are just as profound and beautiful. Um, God's Word is so incredible and 
I remember I was an associate pastor in San Luis Obispo, and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I called up a guy who had his act together. He was an associate pastor, well-respected. Um, he would just finished his doctorate, and when I arrived at his office, he told me about what he was learning. And he was learning that when you're together um, reading scriptures, sometimes you can do it verse by verse and zoom in, but sometimes when you zoom out and read a whole book at a time, that something profound can happen. And, and so I went back home to the church in San Luis, and we started doing this and experienced incredible change. I told this story to men's Bible study this week, and they all looked at me with fear in their eyes because they're like, I don't think I can read a whole book of the Bible all at once. And yes, you can, right? Did you know that the, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the average page length is 18 pages? Can anybody here read 18 pages at a time? It was like four of you said yes. <laughs> Anybody here can read 18 pages at a time? Yes, all of you can do that, right? Now, give me a good spy thriller novel. I'm into it 100 pages. Why is it, though, that I read scripture paragraph in a... <laughs> right? Just like, oh, this is so hard. Just stick with it, right? There's audio Bibles if you're audio inclined as well. What I didn't tell the guys at men's Bible study is that that other pastor who I called up who had his act together, who taught me how to be a pastor, he's sitting in the front row. His name's Paul Dugan. <laughs> Here's the good news. We're not going to read the entire book of John today. Aren't you glad? Um, but what I want to do is that I want to zoom out and look at how chapters 13, 14, and even the beginning of 15 are all connected together. Because I want to see, I want to help you see that when you read these scripture passages together, that, that there's a beautiful flow and there's a truth here today that I think is really important for us all. So can we pray? Heavenly Father, we invite your Holy Spirit here. Thank you that you already are here, Holy Spirit. And we ask your protection right now upon this time that you would silence any voice that would be distracting us or putting us to sleep now, Jesus. Um, we can stay awake for Netflix. And so what we really want to do is stay awake and present right now because what you're saying to our hearts is so important. So we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to speak to us and to change us and to set us free. And all God's beloved children said, that means you agree. So let's read John chapter 13, verse 1. This is a couple of weeks ago. Ready? Read it with me. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Now, pay, pay, wait, pay attention. Here it is. Here's the topic sentence. Do you remember that from ninth grade English way back when? Here's the topic sentence for the next couple of chapters. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what's this passage all about? It's about love. And that phrase, we defined it a couple of weeks ago, he loved them to the end, right? That's that Greek word telos. It means perfectly, completely, to completion, so what Jesus is going to show us in these chapters is what does it look like to love one another perfectly, well, completely, to, to the fullest. Does that make sense? Is that something that you want to know about? Great. Here it is. 
What happens next? If you were here two weeks ago in chapter 13, do you remember what happens? Jesus starts to wash his disciples' feet, right? So this is what we learn. Read this with me. Love is letting Jesus wash away the muck and mire, which is not you, so that the real you is cleansed and affirmed. Love is loving each other just like Jesus loves us. You picking up what Jesus is putting down in John chapter 13? Does that make sense? So it's, love is, has two sides to it, right? Letting Jesus love you in the middle of your muck and mire, that your muck and mire is not you, right? That you, have a, you are a new creation. You are not your past. You are not your mistakes. You are a new creation, so you, you let Jesus love you, and he identifies the muck and mire, or as I've affectionately called it, your crusty bits, and he washes you clean. And then you then, the other side of the coin is that you then get to do that for the people in your life. And do you remember what Peter says when Jesus He's washed all these other disciples' feet, even Judas's feet. Do you remember what Peter says when Jesus puts the bowl of water? Maybe it, the water was dirty. I don't know. But do you remember what Peter says? No way. You're not going to wash my feet. Absolutely not. Nope. I don't smell. My dirt's not that dirty. I'm fine. I was born this way. I'm proud of this dirt. I earned every fleck. Now, what does Jesus say? Actually, Peter, if you don't let me wash you, then you have no part of, with me. And then do you remember how Jesus, Peter then tries to save, yeah. save the day? Fine, then give me an entire shower. And all the disciples are like, dude, you don't. It's a metaphor. Just let him wash your feet, man. So then Jesus sums up thir chapter 13 Right? With this statement. Read this with me. Verse 34. A new command. Wait, how many commandments are there? Eleven. Good job. There it is. This is the eleventh commandment. Right? The spinal tap is right. You don't turn it up to ten. You turn it up to eleven. Here it is. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do you see both sides of the coin? The command is, first, let Jesus love you. Second, it's love one another in the same way. It's not love one another the way that you want to be loved, the way that you hope another person loves you, the way that you, that you, that you liked it when that person loved the other person on the movie that you saw. It's you love another person the way that Jesus loves you first. So this wonderful principle, right? You can only give away what you have, so first receive from Jesus, and then you'll have something to give away. Say amen. amen. Good. Verse 35. Read this with me. By this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Okay. So, you let Jesus love you, all in all of your muck and mire, and then 
you must be willing to humble yourself to move close to the people that in your life, even when they smell like Lazarus coming out of the tomb. Remember that guy? John chapter 11? He's alive, but he's covered in cloths, grave cloths that stink like death. Martha's like, somebody help him. Remember that? So this is, this is love. You let Jesus love you, and then you're willing to move forward close to another person, even when they're covered in muck and mire. Okay, I'm speaking metaphorically. This is a bit vague, um, so let me be more specific about what this can look like. Love is choosing to stay connected, um, to not back away from your friend or your spouse or your children when you find out how much they're really actually covered in muck and mire. Because we do a good job of covering it up, don't we? I got these cool socks. They got whales on them, right? What does that do? It covers up my stinky feet, okay? So we do a really good job of covering up all our muck and mire. I'm fine. I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Got a shirt. Got a belt. Belt matches my shoes. I'm on it this morning, right? But the more that you get into close relationships with people, how many months can you put up the facade that you have it all together? Maybe a couple at most, right? I always lasted two weeks, and then people would find out who I really was, that I had foot and mouth disease, right? And I was terribly insecure, okay? So love is choosing to stay connected, to not back away, even when you discover how, how covered in muck and mire they are. And then love is, is, is also helping wash them clean. So what do I mean? Andy, be more specific. Don't be metaphorical. Okay, let me be concrete. The muck and mire, the crusty bits that I'm talking about, those are lies. Those are our failures. Those are the ways that we've been wounded and betrayed by other people. And so the way that we deal with our pain and our wounds and the lies that we believe about ourselves and God is very, very simple. We combat those with truth. The truth about who we really are and about who God really is. Does that make sense? So to wash another person clean is to tell them you are not your dirt. You are not your pain. You are not your woundedness. You are... God's beloved child. You're adored. You're loved. Okay, so be more specific, Pastor Andy. You guys are on me today. Okay, so let me give you an example. This last week, my 12-year-old son called me out. Um, He said, Dad, you're being way too stern in the tone of your voice Um, when you're correcting me. (laughs) Levi's gone. Okay, good. Um, Levi was right. He was right. I was being too stern. But what he did, how he called me out was so beautiful. 
First of all, he didn't run away in anger and slam the door. Second, he didn't um, just sort of withdraw in like sort of measured resentment against me. Um, he didn't scream and yell at me. Powerfully, tenderly, lovingly, he stayed connected with me. And with a waver in his voice and tears in his eyes, he told me the truth. Dad, you're being too hard on me when you correct me in the tone of your voice. Lighten up a little bit. And man, that's really hard to do when you're 12 years old. Like, I've never done that right in my life. And Levi was doing it right at the age of 12. And, and by doing, by, by staying connected to me, even when my ugly, mucky, dirty, crusty bits were exposed, by staying connected to me, Levi gave me this gift. He affirmed the truth that I am not my dirt. He affirmed the truth that, Dad, that's not who you really are. Like, you're not angry. You're gentle. That's who you really are. And Levi, by not leaving, but by speaking tenderly and lovingly to me, he affirmed that I could do the same thing, right? That I don't have to, like, I can draw close to him even when he's, you know, junior highing all over the house, right? Does that make sense? So love is choosing to remain, to stand by one another's side, even when that person next to you stinks like old grave clothes. And this is what Jesus does for his friends. This is what Jesus is commanding us to do for one another. First, receive my love. Let me wash you clean. Now, love others the same way. Now, you might think that Jesus is offering you a strategy that you can sort of add to your quiver and pull out when the time is right. Um, and then you might think, well, thanks, Jesus, for that advice, and um, I'll take that under consideration. But, um, of course, you know, in these situations where I work, um, in my particular context, I need to act this way because it's the only way that these knuckleheads will listen, and I need you to understand something, that Jesus is not giving you advice. Jesus is describing to you how reality is constructed. Jesus is the God of the universe, and he's telling you something about how human beings work and what works best. And it is not mean to insist that you pour gasoline in your car that runs on gasoline rather than grape juice. Amen? That is not judgmental or mean. It is just simply insisting that your car runs on gasoline. If you put something else in it, insisting that it would be designed a different way, what will happen to your car? Yeah, it won't work. Very long. So what, what's the point? You and I are designed to run on love. We need God's love and care to give us a foundation, a purpose, an identity. Nothing else will satisfy. This is not mean or judgmental. It's how we're designed. And who designed us? Our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father adores us. And he gives us Jesus to show us who he really is and how life works. And our Heavenly Father wants abundant life for us. 
overflowing, cascading, waterfall-like life for us. And, and this, is, this life is not a thing to buy or an idea to grasp. This life is a person, and that person has his name, and his name is Thus, in chapter 14, Jesus says this. Read this with me. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is saying, look, the, the way, the road, the, the way that I'm showing you is to love. That's the way, right? The truth that I'm speaking to you is actually true because I'm God, I'm going to show you exactly who my heavenly Father is because we're one in the same. And all, and when you believe me and trust me and do this, what does it lead to? The way, the truth, what does it lead to? Life. Right? You starting to connect the dots? Chapter 13, the new commandment. Chapter 14, here's how reality works. You picking up what Jesus is putting down? Just say yes. Good job. I get to have a lot of conversations with adults in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. That's all y'all. And you, did you know what you all have in common? At some point in your childhood, in multiple points in your childhood, you've experienced two things. First of all, you've been loved really, really well. Sometimes you have great parents. Sometimes you have lousy parents. But uh, an aunt or an uncle or a grandmother or a grandfather or a brother or a sister or a youth group leader loves you really, really well. And so you've had the experience of being loved, right? And then the other thing that you all have in common is that you all have the experience of, of, of profound pain. And all of us, without exception, I've never met a person who doesn't do this, we decide that in the face of this pain that we will protect ourselves from the pain. And of course, we're all individuals and we all have our unique contexts and we're all created with our unique personalities. And the way that we withdraw or protect ourselves from this pain is unique, but you have some common, you have some common themes that all connect you guys together. Do you, do you know, would you like to know what they are? Okay, ready? Here it is. Um, and this is true of all biological organisms. All biological organisms, when they experience pain, they all first take a step back. So that's what, for, we all have that in common. Now, as human beings, um, we also, um, we tend to mask our emotions just a little bit. We will hedge our honesty in the face of pain. We will focus on what we can control Often we will suffer in silence. And in general, the strategy that all of us have in common is that we're trying to deal with our pain by ourselves. Look at the person next to you, right? You can tell them you're trying to do it alone, right? You don't have to say that. Because the, the lesson that we've learned is that, number one, man, feeling loved is amazing, and I actually really need that. But the lesson, number two, is this, is that I'm going to get hurt and betrayed in this life by the people that are supposed to love me. And so those two tensions have us trying to figure out how we can get love, but at the same time protect ourselves. And we try and do this alone. And so it kind of looks like this. 
Here's our pain, our muck, and our mire, and here's our strategy to go it alone. First, we isolate a little bit. We'll deal with our pain by becoming numb. Some of us like to become machines. I won't feel, I'll just do, right? Um, Some of us like to be victims. We say, woe is me, we live in self-pity. How about bottom left? We like to blame. That's my favorite, right? Right? The solution to all problems is to find out whose fault it is. Okay? How about the one bottom? Consumption. This is my favorite, right? I'm in pain, and so what I'll do is I'll consume, consume, consume in order to try and fix that pain. And it's wonderful. In your 20s, you consume with good grades, and you find someone to fall in love with. In your 30s, you consume yourself with, you know, um, your career being on the top. In your 40s, you know, you start your family, and you want to consume yourself with everything going well. In your 50s, you realize you haven't saved for retirement. You panic. You try, and, um, you try and get your wealth together. In your 60s, you're trying to retire while dealing with crippling physical ailments because you've ignored your body and consumed chocolate and ice cream for the last 40 years straight. In your 70s, you're, you're desperate to try and um, you know, make a difference, go on one last adventure, the last hurrah. 80s, you've, you've, you realize, okay, I got maybe 10, 20 more years and that's when wisdom sets in, and you finally figure out you're okay with who you are. 90s, you don't care anymore. You're good to go. Uh, you just, you're living large. You're on your biggest adventure. And by your 100s, um, now you're qualified to run an organization or, or a family, right? <laughs> so we consume ourselves with all these different things, hoping they'll satisfy. How about the next one, denial? Do you know what denial is? That's a river in Egypt, right? So just don't talk about how you feel. Don't talk about what's going on, right? That's my favorite phrase. I'm fine, right? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. I'm fine, right? How about the next one? Uh, performance. This is one of my favorites. Look, I, you know, don't, don't pay attention to my muck and mire and my pain. Just pay attention to how spectacular I am, right? Have you seen my resume? Have you seen my merit badges? They're incredible, right? Look at me, look at me, look at me, okay? Don't look over here, look over here. Don't look over here, look over here. Uh, how about entitlement? Because I've been hurt, I am now owed things. So when I talk to you, you know what y'all tell me about this? Y'all tell me that this strategy that you've employed, now you've employed every single one of those, just a couple, whatever fits your particular context and personality, that that strategy isn't working. In fact, it's entombed your heart, that it's suffocating you, that it feels like dying. In other words, it's hell. And that's why you're here. It's because you've come to the end of yourself and you've said, I need somebody to rescue my heart from this strategy. And Jesus knows this. He gets it. He's been betrayed. He's been wounded. He's been hurt. And so he calls attention to the truth that we really need to hear. Read this with me, verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You have a cell phone package that you don't have to pay minutes for. It's called prayer. And as you speak to God, he hears you. The reception is always clear. And he's saying, look, you are not alone. 
You've got backup. I know, I've given you the command to let me love you. That's tough, but guess what? You can ask for help. I know, I've given you the command to like love one another. That's tough, but guess what? You're not alone in this, right? The command isn't figure it out all by yourself. The command is ask me for help. Talk to me, be with me. I, you're not alone. And then he keeps on giving us good news. Ready, read with me, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Wait, Andy, why is that good news? Um, the, the you there is y'all. How about that? Us loving one another is not done alone, never alone. Us loving one another and being loved by Jesus, we need to do that together. That's why we show up in this room together. That's why we do Bible studies together. That's why we talk to one another, because we're not supposed to do that by ourselves. We're supposed to, we learn how to do that in community, and that's good news, right? You don't have to carry the crushing weight of following all of Jesus' commands by yourself. That's not how you're designed. You're designed to do it together, and together we can do it, right? Verse 16. This gets even better. Read with me. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Yeah, baby! I mean, not only is Jesus scheming to bless us, not only do we get each other to help each other in this journey through life, but we also get God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us and welded to us for absolutely forever. You are not alone. Man, I'm so grateful for all of these hopeful promises because I forget. I get lost. I mean, the everyday life covers us in muck and mire. Amen? And I go back to that old way of thinking all the time. April has a little song that she sings to me. She says, you are not alone. That's how it goes. She just sings it over and over. You are not alone. I'm like, stop it. You are not alone. Doesn't matter the tune. Stop it. You are not alone. I have a song for her. It's called Magic Eyes. When she asks me where things are, I just sing it. Magic Eyes. And she says, I found it, thanks. It's incredible. It's beautiful. I forget. We forget. And so what does God give us? He gives us not only Jesus always intervening for us, not only each other always experiencing encouragement from one another, brothers and sisters on the same path in life, but we also get the Holy Spirit always working for us, in us, for, for, for our good and his glory. Verse 7. See, what happens is that we live in a world that is conditioned to operate as though Jesus doesn't exist, we're utterly alone, and there is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So this is why in verse 7, Jesus says, the world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. Of course, this makes perfect sense. The world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because the world says, well, God doesn't exist and on top of that, like God being with you or in you is a ridiculous statement. So, of course, they're going to be blind to see how the Holy Spirit is moving. 
During college, my friends and I helped out in youth group at First Presbyterian Church in Spokane, Washington. And one night, my buddy Jeff was heading home after youth group, and a guy named Paul, not this Paul, um, a guy named Paul uh, was walking by the church parking lot, and as Jeff was putting his guitar into the back of his Toyota Tercel, 1985 was a good year, and Paul whipped around and, and, and said to Jeff, hey, you know what? I'm sick of all you Christians. All of you have light coming out of your eyes, and yet you do nothing. You people make me sick. Jeff's like, oh, hey, what's your name? And uh, so Paul says, well, I'm Paul. Jeff's like, okay, so what was that? He's like, all of you Christians have light coming out of your eyes, and yet you do nothing about the darkness. Oh, I'm sick of it. Paul's like, okay, well, do you want to talk about that? And he's like, no, yes, fine, let's talk. So Paul and Jeff started, my friend Jeff and this guy Paul started hanging up conversation, and then, then they exchanged numbers, and we didn't hear from Paul for a couple of days. About a week later, we get a, Paul, a call from Paul. Um, it was about 11.30 at night, and Paul said, you know what? Um, you know, I've tried reaching out to you Christians, but I just can't, I can't do it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kill myself tonight. I'm going to buy as much crack cocaine as I can afford. I'm going to smoke it all, and I'm going to kill myself. And so Jeff was over at our house, and we're talking on the phone. And Jeff says, well, why don't we just pray? We're just going to pray right now that, like, that none of the drugs would have any effect. And he's laughing at us, mocking us. <laughs> Stupid idiots, right? And so we pray, Jesus, you know, just help. We just pray that these drugs wouldn't have any effect. And then, and then literally uh, about 15 minutes later, he, call, call, he calls back. He's like, what did you just do? What did you just do? I just, I just smoked three rocks of crack cocaine, and nothing is happening. I told my dealer that he was giving me bad stuff. Now the dealer wants to kill me. Like, like what is going on? And we're like, I don't know, Paul. We just prayed. And he's like, well, can you help me with my cigarettes? I hate these things. So we pray for him. <laughs> Jesus, help him. He's smoking a cigarette on the phone. Jesus, just take away the taste of the cigarettes. He's like, this is gross. What am I doing? What is going on? He's like, can you guys come over? And I'm like, all right. It's 11.30 at night. So we go over to his house at 11.30 at night. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just took my Bible. This was my Bible at the time. And, you know, made out of very durable um, paper. And I set before him Philippians chapter 2. And, and I, said, I said, you know, will you will, can I read this to you? And he's like, whatever. And so I, I read it to him. And he just started laughing at me and and, and then I was like, well, Jesus, I just, we just need your help right now. And then my friend Jason says, oh, yeah, amen to that. And Paul glares at Jason. He goes, stop it. He's like, stop what? He's like, don't agree with each other when you pray. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're not supposed to do this alone. We're supposed to do it together. So we started agreeing in prayer, like right after that. And then Paul strangely become incredibly subdued and he's like okay you were going to show me some scripture and so I opened up the scripture to him and I put Philippians chapter 2 in front of his face and he goes what what is this he starts flipping through this bible and he says what is this I'm like well this is the bible and he goes this is a book filled with blank pages like what are you even showing me right now I was like well Jesus would you please help Paul see scripture and he blinks and he goes Wow, okay, now I'm, this, okay, there's words on the pages now. 
And so then he read Philippians chapter 2 about how Jesus, the King of Kings, humbled himself and took on the form of being a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death and death on that of a cross so that we might be forgiven and saved and loved and set free. And right then and there, Paul said, this is what I've been looking for. And he gave his life to Jesus right then and there. That was at 2.30 in the morning. And we spent the next two hours getting rid of all of the equipment that he used to cook meth and all of his stuff that, that he had been involved with. And his life was changed forever. Isn't that good? See, the world is blind to the Holy Spirit. The world only knows how to go it alone. And Paul had used every strategy that the world had offered him to go it alone to deal with his pain. And the moment that a couple of college Christians that had no idea what they're doing decided to do it together, to love Paul together, me and my three friends, then his life changed. I mean, evil cannot overcome good when we're together. Amen? So what is this strategy? The strategy is this, that the love of God takes dead people and makes them alive. So Jesus speaks to his friends a final word of incredible hope. You know what? You, verse 7, next slide, John, but you know the Holy Spirit, for he lives with you and will be in you, and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Like, you are not alone with your pain. The Holy Spirit is with you. Your brothers and sisters filled with the Spirit are with you. And the vision of the Christian life is to have the muck and mire and pain of this world washed off of us by our Savior through our friends. See, Jesus does the raising. Jesus does the resurrecting. Jesus does the making our hearts new. And then what do we get to do? We get to carefully unwrap those grave clothes off one another. So we don't run from pain. We don't run from suffering. We don't run from our own brokenness or each other's failings. And we don't run from fear. We stand together with hope. For Jesus has loved us even when we were rebels. Jesus kept on loving us even when it cost him his own life. We stand together with joy. For Jesus conquered sin and death itself when he rose from the dead. Amen. Where is death's victory? It's gone. Only love and hope and joy remain. So this is how God transforms us. Here it is. Ready? Here's our pain. Here's our muck. Here's our mire. And here's, here's, our, here's the solution. So we get rid of isolation. Why with what? You are part of God's family. You are not alone. You have a community. You're a beloved child. What about becoming numb? You don't have to be numb. You can feel. Jesus has made your heart alive, and therefore every emotion is okay. How about being a machine? You're not a machine. You're not a human doing. You're a human being. You can rest. You can play. How about being a victim? Forget that. You're no longer a victim. You have God's power, God's purpose, and God's claim on your life. You are God's beloved child, not a victim. What about blame? You don't have to blame yourself or others. You can trust Jesus to handle all of the people in your life that you 
need help with. You can stop prosecuting the world and instead trust. What about consumption? You don't have to consume more and more. We know that scarcity is a lie, that that strategy doesn't work. So you can be generous because that's where joy is going to come from. Oh, what about the last one? What about entitlement? You don't deserve, entitlement doesn't work. You deserve death. And what did you get instead? Life. That's why we love grace. And what about denial? No, you can be honest. And guess what? You don't have to perform anymore. You can celebrate that your identity is not attached to what you've done, but about what Jesus has done for you. And when all of these things happen, your pain and the muck and the mire goes away. And what, what has remained? That's what's remained. See, the holy and perfect Son of God chose to stick with you, to wash away your muck and mire, and to let it cover himself as your substitute, so that when he died, that muck and mire died with him. You are clean, you are forgiven, you're enough right now, and you are not alone. So you have this new family. And what is your calling? It's to let Jesus love you and then to love one another. And you can do this today when you go home right now. It's a choice you get to make because the God of the universe chooses to do that for you. Let's pray.